Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa, our esteemed co-host. We are back from the Vegas holidays. We took a few weeks off to do some family business over the holidays, and we didn't have time. We've got upgraded equipment. Uh, everything should be all systems go. We've got a great guest in mind, so stay tuned for the show today. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa. We are now going to be affiliated with the inaugural launch of the Hockey Writers Podcast page over at thehockeywriters.com. We're talking with J.D. Styles from Cali Sports News, reporting live from the Stanley Cup Finals. And today we're being joined by the first general manager in Las Vegas franchise history, George McPhee. With Pat Quinn, you know, I'm likely the finest man I've ever met in my life. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Quinn Malarczyk. There's something about George McPhee that everybody says is a good pick. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and we're talking with Dana Lane, play-by-play voice of the MLB Rebel Hockey Team and owner of Dana Lane Sports. Joining us now is Matt Pryor of thehockeywriters.com. He's coming to us from the Dallas Stars training camp. All right, hockey fans, welcome back to the Vegas Hockey Podcast again. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa, and we've got a lot to get to today. Chris is trying to get out from under uh, negative wind chill temperatures and, and snow drifts as tall as his car out there on Long Island, New York. Chris, I'd like to say good day to you, sir, but I can't imagine with the 56-degree uh, temperature and a little partly cloudy here that I can... Uh, empathize fully with what you all are going through back east but we hope that weather system breaks rather soon and you get back to more normal winter temperatures for your side you hanging in there buddy well uh it's 10 below we got a foot of drifted snow my does haven't won a game in a week and a half and uh yeah so other than that we're doing we're doing peachy king peachy king yeah but it's great to be back back on, and we, we're ready to rock and roll. Everyone can ex- expect uh, to hear, hear from us pretty much every Saturday between now and free agency. And, um, yeah, we got, a, we got a great guest lined up uh, for show number one of 2018, Dan Harrigan, who is uh, the writer for the Lightning Insider, also a weekly guest on Tampa Bay Lightning Radio. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Dan. Harrigan, so it's D-A-N-H-E-R-R-E-J-O-N, and we're going to break down lightning with him in about a half hour, but I guess let's let's dive into the Vegas lane, a team that just uh, very rarely loses. First place uh, ahead of the Kings by four points with still a game in hand. Um, yeah, it's pretty incredible. They have a 10-point a lead uh, over the Sharks, who are in third place. So I mean things are just nothing but rosy for the for the Knights. Another win last night in Chicago. Um, 
they uh, they they play the Rangers tomorrow at home. Please beat them like twenty to nothing. Like that could cheer me. That could. I that think could it could happen. <laughs> I think okay, it could so, happen. Uh, so uh, yeah, the Knights. I mean, they. I mean, it's just it's just incredible. I mean, I just cannot believe. I, again, not that they. I didn't think they had talent. That they weren't going to be competitive, or any of that stuff. But uh, you know, first year franchise players who've you know ninety percent of the roster hasn't played with one another. Uh, never, you know, never played for this coach pretty much outside of Riley Smith and even Marcus only played with them for a short time at the beginning of last year. Uh, you know, new coaching staff, new surroundings, all that stuff. You put it in a hopper, and you know what? Do you, you get a, a team that is just, you know, let's face it, outside of uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, I believe they have the second best record in hockey. It's just incredible. I mean, it just, <laughs> it, it's just, it, it's just so hard to believe. I almost feel like, you know, uh, I, again, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. Like, when is, when is the clock going to strike twelve for Cinderella? Like, it just. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, no, you know, it's it's funny. I was at the game, uh, I think, Tuesday against Nashville. And yeah, and they only won that game 3 nothing against the top team. I mean. And, and a team that should have revenge on their mind because the Golden Knights went into Nashville earlier in the season and beat them in Nashville. So I, I, I'm waiting – it's like when you're playing baseball and, and you, you go through the, the lineup and three up, three down, three up, three down, three up, three down, and your picture's per- perfect through four. And then, you know, he'll walk somebody and then a bunt and then a sack fly and a dribbler and you're down one nothing. You know what I mean? So it's that second time through the lineup where you start recognizing what you're seeing. You're familiar with it. I mean, from, from a hitter's point of view, um, you start – you, you know, you get your timing down, and and I think a lot of people are feeling like maybe the second time through the league or through the lineup, if you will, um, that maybe some of this magic dust or golden dust, if you will, uh, gets gets kind of swept away from the Golden Knights and they start coming back to earth. But now we've played, we they have played half. Uh, half they the played. Year. Four, 41 game, 40 games. One, one more, one more game for a halfway point. They've beaten Chicago twice now. They had a real good, solid game against St. Louis on the first half of the of the back to back. There um, came up short on the St. Louis game, but has wins against uh, two against Nashville, two against Chicago, two against the Kings, three against Arizona. Um, which, okay, I, I'll take the Arizona wins with a grain of salt, but. Um, you know, we're in that that stage of of the second time through the lineup using my baseball uh, analogy, and nothing's changed, sir. They're they're fourteen zero and one against the Western Conference, fifteen zero and one now. They have the best record within their division of any other team in hockey. The best West record against the West of any team in hockey. They've got points in 15 out of 16. They've won nine out of 10. Fresh off an eight-game winning streak. And I, I, you know, I, when I was sitting there at the end of the game waiting for the three stars to get announced Tuesday night, it was Flurry's second shutout in his last two games played. Uh, Subban had come in in between those two games and got a win. But I just, I, I was sitting next to some guys from Saskatchewan, and there was a group of, of four, three guys and a girl on the aisle. And 
you know, is is we're good to get that outside perspective of as you know, all, you know, I'm inundated with it here now. Um, shame on the local media for not picking it up as soon as the Vegas Hockey Podcast did back in March of 2015. Um, but we've been here for you guys ever since the the, the beginning, and you know, they 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 were very very impressed with the arena, very impressed with with the team. Um, happy that the thing has gone well and not, you know, turned into, you know, we're halfway through the first season, so it's hard to make any kind of permanent judgments on longevity. However, um, the boys from Saskatchewan were just mildly, mildly amazed at what they were watching and amazed that they were sitting next to somebody who actually had some hockey knowledge as well. Oh, are you, are you a new hockey fan? You know, I got those kinds of questions like, no, uh, not really, and not too many. Well, I, I was wearing an old Las Vegas Wranglers jersey, and they didn't even know that we had hockey here for the last 20 years. So it was it was a fun game, but it, you know you you go and you you're, it's your second shot out. You're in the middle of an eight game winning streak, and I just had to sit there and wait for the three stars to get announced, and and you know smile, chuckle, shake my head, and and I know what I'm watching, but I'm not sure what it is. Well, to put in perspective, if the Knights win tomorrow against the Rangers. They will be at 60 points after 41 games. So if you if you extrapolate that out, that means there aren't sure. games for 100, 120 points, point point, which is an absolutely insane. So uh, the other thing <laughs> I wanted to talk about is uh, Knights made some news off the ice. Uh, I want to get your take yeah. on Jonathan March or so. Uh, we talked about this before. In fact, uh, last week. Got into a little bit of debate on the other show I do, the NHL on the ice, and uh, you know this is a deal that makes sense for both sides. I, I, I have said from the get-go that to get these guys signed, give up entering, entering free agency, uh, it's going to take you know a, a certain amount of years and a certain amount of money. And I think the Marchessault so deal, from my perspective, I think works really well for both. You get the six, you know, he's 27, so you bought, you know, you get in the prime of his career from the team standpoint. Six year, six year deal, five million. You know, the guy has performed like an eight million dollar player. If you want to use that analogy in terms of how he's his statistics for the last sure. year and a half, if you will. And now I, I grant you, this this Marcheso was, believe it or not, an uh, unrestricted free agent uh, two summers ago, and signed a two-year deal for a little under $1.5 million with Florida. So he's come out of nowhere. I get all that. Undrafted. But I, you know, Undrafted. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's proven his salt this year. Um, now, uh, from his perspective, his agent's perspective, if he could back up this this upcoming second half as he did did this first half, he probably would have gotten a bit more, not, not more than a bit. But you know what? When you're Jonathan March, so – and you know you're making seven hundred thousand, which or seven fifty, which is not a bad salary, by the way. And you're going to be a free yeah. agent, smart enough to know in the in any sports, but especially in a physical sport, you could be one play away from a horrible concussion or you know broken leg or some kind of shoulder injury and whatnot. And someone puts thirty million dollars on the table, um, you know that is a very hard deal to say no to, and quite honestly, you'd be uh, kind of foolish to say no to. So I think this deal works really well, both from a team standpoint. Um, you know, honestly, if he would have played out the year and duplicated his first-half performance, I think he could have 
easily gotten with the camp supposedly going up a little bit this coming year, and a lot of teams, a number of teams will have some cap space. Uh, he could have easily gotten a seven-year deal at $7 million per. Uh, but this makes, like I said, great sense. It, it's, it's a win to me for, from both sides. And it'll be curious to see if, you know, what happens next with James Neal and Lucas Spiza. Those are the other two prominent UFAs. I think, I'm not saying it's going to take the same kind of, same amount of years for each, uh, but it's going to take, for their situations, I think something similar to get them to sign before July 1st in terms of, you know, f- you know, fitting, uh, fitting, uh, fitting things in. You know, maybe Neil doesn't get a six-year deal, but, you know, given his track record, you might have to give him more annually. Maybe he, you know, gets a get six and a half or even seven million a year, uh, especially if you want to get him on a four year deal, it's probably gonna to have to give him more annually. But um No, so, that's, that sounds right. Uh, I think it's yeah, so I think that's I think it's a win win for both sides and and it sounds like you kinda of concur. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What the what the five what the five million dollar cap hit does is is lock in um cap flexibility for the other two UFAs and the remaining RFAs that, that they want to keep are going forward, building their roster. And with McNabb already signing at a, I think his hit was 2.5, 2.25, yeah. 2.5, somewhere, somewhere in that range. So 2.5. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you, you, you're starting to put the pieces together. We, we talked about this when McNabb signed that I expected the, the dominoes to start to fall uh, around Christmas, maybe a little bit before Christmas, um, to get things get things rolling before the deadline. And a lot of it back when McNabb signed too was probably going to be contingent on if the Knights had been, you know, what what their record was after Christmas or before Christmas or going into the new year, if you will. Um, they've maintained their play on the ice, it, being in the community and seeing seeing the guys in the, in everything locally. They they genuinely enjoy the room uh the, the george mcphee there's a line from the movie miracle which i think fits with how this team was constructed and when when the uh you know the board of directors of usa hockey was was questioning um mr brooks's list there um he said i don't want the best players i want to put the best team together and he left players out of that 1980 U.S. hockey team that a lot of people thought should have been on the team um, in order to put together the best team. And I think that applies to uh, Mr. McPhee and the people and the quality of people that he's put together in this room um, and the the way that it translates to the guys. You know, one, I think one of the biggest reasons they've been successful, Chris, is that they genuinely enjoy the room and that they're playing for each other. Every time we go into a city and, uh, you know, there is genuine disappointment that they couldn't get James Neal a goal uh, this time around against Nashville. You know, the first first game he, he got a goal. Um, every night they're playing for each other. Every night there's a guy on the team who's played for the team they're playing. Every night they're trying to help that dude make his point. Um, and, you know, that goes a long way to, to results when when you're playing for your teammates and not for yourself. Um, and, you know, George McPhee hit a home run putting the squad together, and he's identified the pieces that he sees going forward are going to continue to allow, A, cap flexibility, B, 
B, success on the ice, and C, room to grow as the as your draft picks, uh, your four first round draft picks uh, mature and leaving room with with depending on our face to upgrade the roster if necessary. And I think at the deadline now, I think maybe the Knights are going to be buyers. What, last yeah, one I, I'd be curious. You think, you think, yeah, I don't know. You think I don't know. Buyers, sellers, or standing pass? Yeah, I, I think that they might be kind of cautious buyers because they have depth. So sure. I don't think they're going to be trading their first or second round pick. Uh, no, I'm thinking of of one of the goalies. Someone wants a backup goalie. I think Dansk or Legacy prove themselves in the league quite well when you're on your fourth and fifth and third and whatever string goalie. Yeah. And you still have the, I mean, you could get a, you could get a, they you know, we have depth on defense. Right. That's what I'm saying. Uh, they, I think they're going to be careful there. I don't, I don't envision them trading any of their premium draft picks or nope. any of uh, their premium prospects that they drafted last year. So I think they're going to take a kind of a cautious approach from that. Uh, if there's a way to, you know, get a bit better, and we're talking about, although I don't think they have a fourth-round pick. I don't know if it's the third round or the fourth round. One of those rounds they don't have a pick. Uh, if we're talking about a mid-round draft pick or if we're talking about a secondary prospect in a deal, yeah, I, I, I could see something along those lines. But they're they're going to be very careful because, believe it or not, they only – you know, they, uh, in terms of building the franchise, you know, they uh, they had a ton of draft picks, obviously, last year. They have a ton yep. in 2019. 18. But this year, this, yeah. this year, it, yeah, this not year, they have their own first. They have their own second. I, I'm not sure if it's the third or fourth round They've that was part of one of the trades. So in the first four rounds, they have three picks. They could be drafting a little bit further. Uh, past of where they anticipated, they probably anticipated <laughs> right? a, a minimum a top ten pick, and now you're talking about you're, they're going to be drafting after fifteen. So I think they're going to be cautious with all that. Uh, also, too, it depends. You know, there might be uh, some trend, some spots open because at the end of the day, they you know guys, certain guys like Spisa or Neil, it might be like, thank you for the ride. You were great for our first year. Put us. A great position, and, and it might make sense for everyone that they kind of move on. I mean, I don't know if they're going to know the answers for that by the deadline, so I think they have to be prepared for that kind of situation. So I would say cautious buyers, and based on the team, they, they have scoring, they have defense, they have goaltending, they have – so, you know, injuries do – we'll have to see from an injury factor, but um, – I think I would use the term cautious buyers. But before – that's about a little over like 10 that. minutes before we have – yeah – before we have Dan Heron on. So let's hit a couple of these topics. Let's hit two of them. We'll save Ottawa for next week. Uh, the World Junior Championship ended last night. Yeah. Canada winning uh, a, a really great game late in the third period. Everyone in Canada now knows who Tyler Steenbergen is, who is Canadian Canada's 13th forward. Um, so that was like the story of the 3-1 win. He scored with a little under two minutes to go to break the one-one yeah, by Leas, Leas Anderson, who who was the seventh overall pick by the New York Rangers in last year's draft, who uh, is a top prospect, uh, wasn't too thrilled. He threw his, his silver medal in, into, in the, into the crowd 
uh, a very classless move. But, you know, what do you expect from a New York Ranger prospect is what I would tell you. But anyway, be that as it may, it was a great tournament. A little tongue-in-cheek there, but not really. But it was a great tournament. You would say, <laughs> you know what, they, they, they represented well. I mean, look, going to this tournament, everyone said that Canada, Sweden, and USA were the top three teams, and it was going to be very close. And, you know, that's what you got. USA killed the Czechs. And what jumped out besides those two things in the final game to me is uh, I think by by almost everyone's account, and we're going to most likely, we're like 95% sure, I've already I checked with him right after the holidays, Russ Cohen will be on next week, who was at the World Juniors this past week. Nice. So we want to get his thoughts on on some of these players. But uh, Rasmus Gollin uh, is now, looks like by far, who looks like the number one guy uh, on everyone's draft board come this this June. Brady Tuchuk, another guy who should be in that top ten, if you will, right around there. He represented well. Uh, Casey Middlestad had a strong tournament from Team USA, uh, which was, is good news for Sabre fans, uh, uh, as who was their first-round pick last year, as was uh, Neeland, Alexander Nylander, who's also with the Sabres pick two years ago. So that's good news for the Sabres. Uh, Kiefer Bellows, uh, I think, led USA with seven goals. So that's probably been the best Islander news, other than the arena, of course, uh, the last uh, last two weeks. So uh, it was a good tournament, a good showcase. Elias Peterson, another top pick from the Canucks last year, had a strong tournament. So they have a couple of kids knocking on the door to be very excited about as well. Um, but yeah, everyone is raving about Rasmus Dahlin, so that's that's got to be the name. He, yeah. If this is a if this is a race for that number one spot, he he's well ahead of everyone uh, by that that uh, young Swedish defenseman by all accounts for that number one spot. So uh, that's that's kind of like what I took out of in terms of the World Juniors. Well, one thing about Dallin, I think the reason he played so well is because he was paired up with uh, Brandstrom, the Vegas Knights draft pick from the. 16th pick overall. Um, so so Branston really made Dolan look good this tournament. And uh, Zach Devine, Robin Salo, uh, yeah, yeah. on the show, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the Islander organization, he, he was a good player for them as well. So they had a pretty good defense, uh, Team Sweden did. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, good, all, good all around. You know, again, could have went either way. Pretty, I don't know. The kid Anderson, I understand it's a tough loss and all that, and big stage for them. But I mean, come on, you got to you got to hold it together better than that. I mean, um, I, I don't know how you felt about it, but um, yeah, that's you know that's just not the way to go. As far as throwing your medal into the crowd. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a little bit different than the '72 U.S. men's basketball team that hasn't has yet to collect their silver medals from the uh, debacle against the right. Russians, right? A yeah. little bit different. Yeah, than I mean, that. Um, I mean, it's you, almost like so, you know, Team Canada has no business beating them. You know, obviously it was, you know, the two teams were pretty even. I mean, they had an even game. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Hey, it, well, it happens, you know. So. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I, and you got to kind of. I don't know if you give them a pass because they're, you know, 18, 19 years old, whatever. Um, he'll, I'm, I'm sure if that does not get returned to him, which 
Um, hopefully it will. You know what I mean? Hopefully someone got it and is, yeah, you know, today's day and age, doesn't it's, probably, want it. it's probably on eBay this morning. Um, he'll, yeah. he'll want it as he goes through life. And, and, you know, you never know what's around the corner. Like you said, you're one hit away from a concussion or, or you know, career ending injury or things don't go your way and, and you're 18 years old and you're invincible. Um, you know, he'll, hopefully someone will get it and hang on to it and get it back to him um, once the emotions settle down. Excuse me. I want to go through this uh, crazy race. I guess you could say the same about the East, but let's focus on the West today in terms of the wild card race. You know, obviously uh, in the Central, it's looking pretty strong of, you know, Nashville. Still, you know, things up in the air, but Nashville, Winnipeg, and uh, St. Louis in some order looking at the top three. And then you got the Kings and, I mean, Vegas and the Kings in the West, and then the Sharks. Barely holding on to the third spot, but when you look at the wild card race as of today, right as of today, right now, I think Dallas is in at 49 as the one wild card, and then you have Minnesota. I think they have a game in hand, I believe, over Anaheim at 47, but Anaheim is also at 47, and uh, you know, at the same time though, they're only one point behind San Jose for that automatic spot uh, in the third, and then you got the Avalanche, who's you know as much as they, for lack of a better term, underachieved or how poorly they played last year. They've, uh, I think, overachieved this year, you know, gotten the most out of the orange, them being at 45 points. And then you have the Blackhawks and Flames at 44. And, and then behind them, you know, everyone's darling pick at the beginning of the year, the Edmonton Oilers is at 39. So they're five points yeah, they're behind done. Chicago and Calgary. I mean, to put it in perspective, they're eight points out of a playoff spot. And they're going to have to pass one, two, three, four, five teams. So that that's a that's a total order. My six, friend. if you count actually, the Minnesota, that's actually in the spot that they want. You know what I'm saying? They got a they got a leapfrog uh, five just to tie for that spot. Right. Oh, no, well, yeah, no, you they, can't. They're equal, you, yeah. tied. Right. Yeah. Right. They, it might be easier I, I, I for think them. They're done. Believe it or not, it is to get is to leap frog in the division to get to the third automatic spot. Um, obviously, they would have They're to They're nine points back of that. Yeah, so they would have to pass Calgary, but there you're talking about three teams. You're talking about Calgary and, and uh, Anaheim and San Jose. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's... more it is, One more uh, point, but I don't like it. Right. Yeah, no. It's, I'm calling. Uh, I'm calling out right now on Edmonton. Yeah, no, I'm, I I'm, I agree. They I'm have. They're it. gonna have to put up a sensational second half, to say the least. You know, Calgary gave up a lot in that Travis Hamonic deal. Keep in mind, if they missed the playoffs, they traded their first and second round picks, and obviously that first round pick will be a lottery pick. Uh, so that that is a you know. That is a, a, a thing to keep an eye on. Uh, the Blackhawks, obviously, they made a lot of changes this offseason. And if last year wasn't... I, I watched uh, the, Yeah. Uh, if last year was a big problem in terms of the, losing in the first round, getting swept, what would not making the playoffs be? So, um, yeah. So, it, like I said, and you know, all these teams are, 
vying for the playoffs. I don't know how many sellers they're going to be out west. Might have to have some hockey trades uh, in terms of uh, the deadline, but we'll we'll save that topic for you know later on in the month. But yeah, it should be a wacky race in the in the West, and uh, it's probably going to come down to a point or two. That last week should be uh, must see TV. Yeah, well, one of one of the teams that's not going to be worried about the, the bottom end of the standings is the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we have Dan Harris in the Tampa Bay Lightning Insider on the line on the Vegas Hockey Hotline. Good day to you, sir. Dan, thank you for joining the show. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Um, so Tampa Bay, num- been number one in the West, a surprising team nipping at your heels in the Golden Knights, but then a, a few more points separating down into the the bottom half. Uh, first of all, I, I, I want to talk – uh, two two players that I want to get your take on underperforming, overperforming, or what we expect. And let's start in that because that's the last front runner at this point. When you cut the apron strings and let Ben Bishop go at the end of that last season, it, is it fair to say that he this is an overperformance of the ex- expectations that most people had for Vasilevsky? At this point in the season, you know it's it's funny that you say that because uh, during preseason I wrote a piece for Lightning Insider that said Vasilevsky's going to win the Vezina. Okay, and as expected, people don't people don't realize that since the Bishop trade was made, Vasilevsky has forty wins, nine losses. And four over That's incredible. An NHL goalie. So anyway. Dan, you're breaking up. We're oh. we're losing you a little bit, Dan. I'm sorry. Is this better? Chris, are you here? Uh, oh, yeah, that's there better. That's better, Dan. There you are. Okay. Uh, well, what I was what I was saying about Vasilevsky is that people don't realize he came to number one. After the Bishop trade, he has won more go- more games than any other NHL goalie. The, the last 30 games last season after the trade and so far, you know, almost at the halfway point so far this season. To see, could anyone have expected his goals against to be under two? Probably not. So in that respect, I guess he is overperforming a little bit. But there were a lot of people, even when Ben Bishop, who who during his time in Tampa was clearly an elite goalie, uh, there was there were many fans here in Tampa who were anxious to see what this kid could do, and I think. I think we haven't even seen the best of him yet. Just, I think when the playoffs come, this kid's going to be in lockdown mode, and that bodes well for the Lightning. So let, let me uh, one thing. One thing with Vasilevsky, and and I've been very impressed. You never know when you when you actually cut the apron strings from a from a backup goalie 
as you know, I've used two Kings goalies. You don't know if you're going to get Martin Jones. You don't know if you're going to get Jonathan Bernier. So mm-hmm. kudos, kudos to, to Stevie Y and, and having the guts to let a two-time Vezina trophy finalist, uh, definitely a league goaltender in the league. Ben, ben Bishop was my pick to, you know, be the guy in that to start the Golden Knights franchise. Out of all the goalies that were UFAs and projected to be available, I, I my my favorite was was Ben Bishop. Stanley Cup Finals experience, uh, like I said, two-time Vezina. So kudos to Tampa for having that vision and and setting this kid free, and kudos to the kid for for stepping up the way he has. Definitely one of the better stories. Um, in the league this year for sure. And then my, my other player I wanted to, to just get your underperforming, overperforming, or as expected is Kucherov, who's having a phenomenal first half of the season. And we, we, you know, we've seen Kucherov. I thought I knew who he was and what to expect, but this kid's come out and blown me away this year. Just same question, but on, on Kucherov, did, did you guys down in Tampa see the growth potential that this kid still had under wraps? Uh, not to the to the extent that we've seen. He's impressed a lot of people here in Tampa thus far this season. You know, look, he he we knew that this guy is a bona fide thirty goal scorer, but sure. uh, but I'll take you back a couple seasons when he first uh, broke twenty goals. I think he ended the season with twenty five or twenty six goals. In the offseason, Alexander Ovechkin was talking about the best goal scorers in the NHL. And in in a prescient move, he says, watch this kid in Tampa. And he was talking, he was referring to Kucherov. He said, this guy's going to score 50 year in and year out. Now, I laughed when I first read that because I thought, you know, maybe he'll do it one year. Or like many of the play, current players who have hit 50, they might do it once or twice, and they're done, uh, other than than Ovechkin. But I think Ovechkin knew something or saw something in Kucherov that a lot of us didn't see two or three seasons ago, but we're seeing it now. Funny you say that. Now, He's sitting on it, 20, 26 goals right now at the halfway point. Uh, mm-hmm. on pace for 50 and tied with none other than Alex Ovechkin, who's also at 26 goals halfway through the season. How much? Uh, in, interesting irony there in uh, Mr. Ovechkin and his foresight a couple years back talking about Kucherov. Go ahead. Right. And I was going to say that the other thing about, about Kucherov and why he's having such a, a, a big goal scoring season is who knew that Stamkos, Steven Stamkos, the sniper, would turn into Stamkos the setup guy. It's in, right, right. In his career, in his career so far, Stephen Stamkos' best season for assists was seven years ago, seven seasons ago, and he had forty six. He already has thirty three, and like you said, at basically the halfway point of the season, he's on a pace for almost seventy assists. Obviously, you know, think about think about that. On the top line for Tampa, you've got Stamkos on one on one dot. You've got Kucherov on the other dot. Where does the defense? Who who is the defense shading over to? Who are they? They have to pick their poison, and 
if they make the wrong call on that on that particular shift, uh, there's a good chance that puck is going into the net. For sure. And then the other point on Kucherov, you mentioned Stamkos with his 33 assists. Kucherov has 31 assists, so he's not just mm-hmm. uh, like you like you said the the sniper and Stamkos and and the former 60 goal scorer and everything that Stamkos brings from the the goal scoring aspect. Kucherov is also right there and uh, making plays for his line mates as well. So that that's another another little aspect to his game that that I didn't see coming. Um, that Mr. Ovechkin obviously had more insight for me. Well, let me bring in Chris. Chris, uh, I know Chris wants to get involved in the conversation here. Chris, go ahead. Sure. Hey, Dan, great to have you on the show. Again, everyone, uh, you can find Dan's writing at the Lightning Insider. He's also a weekly guest on Tampa Bay Lightning Radio. Follow, give him a follow on Twitter at Dan Harrigan, H-E-N-H-E-R-R-E-J-O-N. So, Dan, you know, it, uh, it's amazing to me. Uh, we go back to last uh, offseason, last June, and Eisman is mm-hmm. in a situation where he's dealing with a, a, a bit of a cap crunch, to say the least. So he, he trades one of those forwards, uh, Jonathan Drew, who was at the time in an RFA, who was going to get a big increase in pay, and we know about mm-hmm. the off-the-ice issues he's had, but he seemed to turn things around. And to turn that asset into a uh, a need in, in, in on getting adding that extra defenseman, and then b clearing up a ton of cap space as Mikhail Sergachev is entering. This is his first year of an entry level contract, and then mm-hmm. big picture, you know, adding a potential top four defenseman all around guy to your core. I mean, I said at the time, I can't believe they were able to pull that off. Uh, and uh, it seems like Sergachev, he's a guy kind of like Charlie McAvoy in, in Boston, not being talked about enough, in my opinion, for the Calder. Obviously, Brock Bresner and Matt Barzell are having terrific years, but these guys are also having terrific years. What can you tell us about Sergachev's uh, uh, rookie year? Well, i got to tell you, Chris, I like the, the comparison – to to McAvoy, I, I I I think that's a good comparison. I mean, first of all, arguably, playing defense in the NHL is has such a, an extended learning curve that it oh, takes yeah. players a few seasons once they they make the NHL team to really learn the the how to play defense in the NHL. Sergeyev in training camp, wasn't even expected to make the final roster. We thought he was he was going back to juniors. We knew that that based on Steve Eiserman's history that he would that Sergeyev would probably play a handful of games and then be sent back to the juniors. So, but his play in the in in the preseason games and in the first couple weeks of the season solidified that that wasn't going to happen. I've been impressed with his ability to handle the puck. I mean, he can go 200 feet with the puck playing against smaller, perhaps even faster players. But this kid has has some skills offensively that none of us expected here. Now, 
I think John Cooper, the head coach for the Lightning, he did a very smart thing in help in two two decisions that Cooper made were he put Anton Strahlman, who is probably the most technically uh, best defenseman that the Lightning have. He put Sergachev, this kid, this rookie, with Strahlman, and that has helped uh, Sergachev's defensive game, the, the, the defensive aspects of his game a whole lot better. You know, it's funny, the, the lightning color guy here is uh, Brian Engblom, who's, you can see him on NBC from time to time. And Engblom said something early in the season about, about Strawman that if you watch Anton Strawman play, he never makes the wrong turn. He never makes a wrong move. He's surrounded many times by, by with the puck in our in the the lightning zone and and he just makes a little bit of a pass to himself off a board or 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 makes the right cut to to and he he Engblom says you Strawman can play hockey in a tuxedo he never sweats he never crumbles <laughs> under any kind of pressure and i think Sergachev is learning i think that was a brilliant move by Cooper to pair this this kid up with this technically sound NHL veteran defenseman that that helps. Now you can't teach the shot that Sergachev has this kid. It is a booming shot. It's not Shea Weber. It's, but I'll tell you, you, the, the opponents who have gotten in front of that shot, they feel that you can hear it when it, when he misses the net and it hits the, the backboard. You can the the loud boom that that it has. I think that, and he's not afraid to take a shot. If you look at, I think one of the reasons that the Lightning has been off to such a good start from from the opening night has been the scoring from the defense. And Sergachev is leading the way. He's got eight goals. I mean, he's got twice as many goals as Victor Hedman. If anyone would have said that at the beginning of the season that this kid was going to have have twice as many goals at the halfway point, uh, they would have been thought they, people would have thought they were nuts. There's no way that this kid was going to outscore Hedman. But the scoring from the defense overall last season, the Lightning only tallied 30 goals from their defense defensive core. We're not even we're one game short of the halfway point right now here in Tampa. And they already have 23. Sergachev is the main reason for that that increase in offensive production from their defensemen. And we both know that when that when uh, the Lightning are have the puck and they're playing a puck possession game, it makes things a lot easier for Andre Vasilevsky in that. You, you know, Dan, uh, I can't imagine expectations being any higher for both the organization, the players, the coaches, the fan base. I mean, the Lightning have been the best team in hockey since since opening night. Um, you look at it, you know, they have they have depth. They have you know, four, they have they throw four, you know, deep forward lines, three good defensive lines. Um, you know, they got a goalie who's Who's probably on pace to easily going to win the Vesna this year? They got some huge scorers and Stamkos and Kucherov. We we mentioned about those just just using 
those three defensemen in Kucherov, uh, Kucherov and Sergachev and, and Strowman and Hedman. And then from an experience standpoint, you know, let's not forget it's not that long ago that for, for the most part, all the, most of these players were here. The team got to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, against the Blackhawks, lost in six. And a couple of years ago, you know, they were they lost a one-goal game in Game 7 against the Stanley Cup, then eventually Stanley Cup Penguins. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's experience there as well. Having said all that, uh, I, I believe that Tampa finds themselves in a situation where, you know, if they don't win the Stanley Cup this year, uh, I'd have to say that this year has been a disappointment uh, from that standpoint. If I offered to any Lightning to most uh, fan bases, hey, I'll tell you what, your team will make the Stanley Cup Finals, play really well, but come up a little short. I think most fan bases, believe it or not, would take that. I, I don't think a Lightning fan base would. So given all those givens, what does Stevie Wine need to acquire between now and the trade deadline uh, to put himself in the best position? And is he going to be willing to trade a first-round pick, per se, or maybe one of his top prospects, like Cal Foot from last year's draft. How do you how do you see that playing out? Well, I'll tell you, you're right. You're right, absolutely right. I think because of what we've seen in the first half of the season, simply getting to the Stanley Cup final will probably not be enough for the fan base here. I mean, it, you, it, they have clearly played head and shoulders above all comers. So that would, would probably be a disappointment. But having said that, I'll go back to the season, the 2014-15 season, where when they did make the Stanley Cup final, they were at that time the youngest team average age to make the playoffs that season. But a lot of the players, including Andre Vasilevsky, who saw because Bishop was hurt in one game in the final, Vasilevsky at 21 actually started a Stanley Cup final game. He lost two to the the Lightning lost two to one, but it certainly wasn't because Vasilevsky played poorly. But having all said all that, the move that Steve Eiserman made that season was he traded Radko Gudis to Philadelphia for Braden Coburn, which helped a veteran defenseman help shore up that particular group through the playoffs. Coburn's never going to be Braden Coburn is a very serviceable, very good veteran NHL defenseman, but he's never going to be on a top pairing on any team. But that was the kind of move that that was the move that Eisman made that season. I look for something like that. If he can get a top four defenseman, even a rental, Mike, and Mike Green. I think that would be the move. Does Mike Green fall into what Eisman would be looking for? Well, I'll tell you, he's got the right-handed shot that that every NHL team covets come playoff time. You know, last in the off season, they were talking a lot about Kevin Shattenkirk, and the rumors here in Tampa always seem to center around a right-handed shot. So, but it depends because. Detroit's been pretty hot lately. If they can make a move towards the playoffs, they might be buyers rather than sellers. So, but yeah, Mike Green would certainly fit 
that bill. I think that's what that if Eisenman makes a move and his cupboards are full. I don't know, you know, Canada uh, Junior, the Canada Junior team won the gold. There were five Lightning prospects playing for Team Canada. So the cupboard here for Eisenman, you have to give credit to to him and his scouting department. They Tampa is still a relatively young NHL team, average age, but the 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 future certainly looks bright. I think all Eisenman is doing. Remember, he's he comes from an organization that made the playoffs what twenty five or twenty six seasons in a row. That's his background. Clearly, Eisenman is trying to do the same thing here for the Lightning organization. Before I hand you back to Mark, my last one uh, for you, Dan, is uh, if we take a sneak look at the Eastern Conference, who would you say in a uh, seven-game series would be the biggest threat in terms of you, you look at it from talent or matchups or a hot goalie or what, what, whatever you think is best, who would be the greatest threat to, uh, in your eyes that have Tampa locked up in a series again? Well, I'll tell you what. I think that what concerns me is the first round more than anything else. Because if you look at the Eastern Conference, Pittsburgh is there. Now, granted, these guys have two years' worth of a potential Stanley Cup hangover. So, uh, But I think Murray is is – one of the best goaltenders, especially knowing how young this kid is, and he's got two rings on, on his resume. But I, I also – there's a concern on my part about Montreal, and only because really? – listen, Carey, Carey Price is Carey Price. And yeah, if they I, get there. If, if they get there. But you know what? If Pacioretty can, can get his – that's a bona fide 30-goal scorer if he can – if he can right his ship and there's a little bit right. more cohesiveness among their blue liners, Carey Price, when Carey Price goes out on the ice, that team has a, has a chance to win oh, sure. just because he's that good. That team, because in a, in a series, Carey Price is good enough to steal a couple of games. Uh, that it's it just a hot goalie, like you said, running into a hot goalie and, and Carey Price would would be that would be that player that I think the Lightning would not like to face in the opening round. Well, that would that would be a big disappointment if they lost in the opening round, even if they played <laughs> at the end of the day. If they I promised yeah. Mark to be quick with you, but if that happened, I, I, John Cooper's job could be on the line, and I, I'm a huge John Cooper. I'm a huge uh, John fan. Cooper fan. Uh, as well. They'd get past yeah, Montreal. So, and I, and I, I think I, the I, lightning I, I, I to think so. I think the lightning to a man would tell you that they wouldn't want to face Carey Price. I mean, the, they just oh, played uh, on Thursday, and it was a it was a one one game, and it, the game was all about the 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 goalies. Uh, Montreal beat the Lightning in a shootout, but obviously in the playoffs that wouldn't happen. But I mean, conceivably, these guys. Uh, these two goalies uh, would would make it a uh, you know the Lightning for for the most part this season have 
have blown look at the gold differential they have blown teams out that wouldn't have we know that's not going to happen in the playoffs they're tighter games it's more one goal games and in one goal when you know the game is going to be decided by one goal listen it's not a bad bet to to put your money on carry price so and i think that that the lightning would like to avoid that if at all possible we're talking with Dan Harrison here on the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and we've only got a couple minutes left. But I did want to get a follow-up to the uh, Sergachev conversation we were having just a minute ago. And we, you mm-hmm. said that uh, most people had him pegged as going back for another year in juniors before he was ready to make the big club. But let me throw some stat lines at you. Uh, one of them is the player that was, was included in the trade, Jonathan Druin. One of them is what most people consider the the most productive offensive defenseman of the last decade, Eric Carlson. And one of them is Mikhail Sergachev. And I want you to play A, B, C, which scoring line fits which player. Okay, so I'll start. Uh, one player has five goals, 13 assists, and he's a minus 16. One player has three goals, 24 assists. He's a minus 20. One player has eight goals, 25 assists, and he's a plus 16. Uh, assign the player to the stat line. Go. Jerwan, Carlson, Sergachev. Yep. In order. In order. You you hit it on the head. Now, with uh, with Sergachev coming into into camp as a player to go back to juniors it, to get to the halfway point in the season, be outscoring the forward that he was played for, have a plus thirty two goal differential on his plus minus over that player. And then to stack up with five more goals, one more assist, and a plus 36 goal differential, if I'm doing my math right, over Eric Carlson. I imagine that Tampa Bay feels that they've won that trade going forward. Absolutely. And when you think about, you know, you alluded to earlier of the, the let's say, the missteps of Jonathan Duran when he was here in Tampa. There was a point in time when the fan base was ready to trade this guy for a bag of pucks, they sure. weren't happy with, with, with his attitude because I was one, one of the things about the, yeah, I, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I didn't like his behavior, but my, my perspective was this is a 20 year old kid. We let's let him. I, I was disappointed when he was traded. And the reason why is because I knew that Stamkos and Stamkos and Kucherov, you've got two offensive world-class NHL scores. I thought Juwan, he, he, I'm still convinced we have not seen what this kid is capable of offensively, especially as a playmaker, not so much as a goal scorer, although his shot is very underrated in my opinion, but, but, the emergence of Braden Point last season, I, I believe, made the trade um, uh, made it made it possible for Iserman to trade a, a kid like Duran, even if he was to go on and win the Rocket Richard or or lead the 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 Canadians to the promised land. I think it was with the emergence of Braden Point that probably made Iserman feel that he could make that trade. And like you said, to get a, a, a kid, I mean, look at the potential Victor Hedman on the left and, and Sergeyev on the right as a top two pairing in the next two or three seasons. 
that's going uh, arguably one of the top absolutely defensive pairings in the league. And, so, and when you have uh, when you have one on one side of of your number one power play unit, and then you take the right handed shot, and uh, I'm not sure, um, are they playing together on the power play, or do they get split on the power nope. play? They get split, and they absolutely. Well, I mean, what more play. do you want? You got two. You got two exactly. power play quarterbacks right there. Boom. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then going and back to Drew in, think too, about. I will. I, I will say real quick on Drew in. Um, when when he didn't report um, when he was first sent back down, um, I, I, I along with everybody else lambasted him. I am of the the ilk that when you sign the contract, you honor the contract. And I, I was on record saying the same thing about Adam Shipishoff here in in Las Vegas, and. I was very happy they took the hardline stance with him and got him out of here because I think that kind of attitude would have been a cancer in the room. And just that alone, I think, could have jeopardized what the Knights have been able to do here uh, so far this season with the way that group has come together. But And then when he did report and he did go down and then he did come back and he did the work, I was also the first to say kudos to Mr. Drew in for going down, getting his head right, getting his attitude correct, and making mm-hmm. himself a tradable NHL commodity again. And that bag of pucks increased to, you know, the Montreal Canadiens' number one defensive prospect in their system. So it, w- exactly. when he was, well, you know, when he had his behavioral issues, I was on him. And when he, uh, let's say, rejuvenated himself, and his value into the market through his own work ethic and what he was able to show to Stevie Y and the Tampa Bay Lightning and the rest of the league, obviously. Um, I, I was also the first to say good for him. The kid went down, he got his spanking, and uh, he he was able to rehabilitate himself and his value in the league. So um, that's a lesson to be learned for Mr. Shipishoff, if you will, if I can draw that parallel. Um Good things could be ahead if you'd go down and do what you need to do, and and then come back up at at that time. And I and I and I agree with you. I don't think we've seen the best of Jonathan Drouin, and I I don't think um, perhaps well Montreal's a little bit of a mess. I think I don't think perhaps that system right now isn't best suited to Mr. Drouin's skills, but I do think his his days are ahead of us. His better days are are ahead of us in the National Hockey League for sure. Yeah, I would agree. What? Uh, what's that crazy? Right from that. Montreal's perspective, because they gave up. A oh chance. man, <laughs> I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think that's a loser trade. I mean, they were under a lot of pressure in Montreal to make some sort of move to increase the offense because that was the perceived. You know, what, what's the team lacking offense? And I think, I think their management group, um, like you just said it, Chris, I think that's how you make mistakes. You go with a philosophy and you stick to your philosophy. If there's, you can't give up on that young, uh, uh, obviously your best defensive prospect, um, defense wins championships, you know, down the line. Um, that is when you make mistakes. I think this is a home run. You know what? I think it's, a lot of what Stevie Y has done in the last 18 months has has turned to gold for him. I think I think he's built a long-term stable franchise that is going to go forward with the youth that they have, the pieces in the pipeline. Um, like you said, they've been in the Stanley Cup Finals, West, Eastern Conference Finals, um, Stamkos injuries notwithstanding. Um, 
I, I think the, the stability of the Tampa Bay Lightning going forward is they have a big window. You know, you talk about teams that windows were closing. We saw that happen with Vancouver um, a few years back. And, and you look at teams where the Rangers window has closed. Um, mm-hmm. I think the Tampa Bay Lightning window is, is open for a very long time. So th- thank you, Dan, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Do you have uh, anything well, you want to get out on where people me. can find your stuff, sir? Well, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Dan, H-E-R-R-E-J-O-N. But uh, find my, my uh, writing, the articles that I do for, and on behalf of the Lightning at lightninginsider.com. Dan, we'd love to have you come back on the show, maybe right before the playoffs, maybe when we know Tampa Camp is playing in the first round. And uh, if we get that Tampa-Pittsburgh well, matchup, that, that could be a lot of fun. You guys got to you guys got to promise me because right now I'm telling people it's going to be Vegas, Tampa, in the Stanley Cup. <laughs> how awesome! Would, well, then we'll how have awesome, you on each week uh, if that happens. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to do a week by week breakdown. I was going to ask you that real quick as a parting shot. How exciting would that Stanley Cup final be? Not just from uh, hey the expansion teams in there, but you, we, you know we played a couple weeks back. Knights getting the better of that game, but the atmosphere in both arenas, the product on the ice, it might be the fastest uh, two teams in all of hockey, and the direction the league is moving in away from the the trap and, and what have you into a more speed-oriented game to showcase the, those two teams in a Stanley Cup final, I think would be a super exciting uh, brand of hockey for the league. I would agree, and I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll say two things about that. I think had they picked Bishop, everybody in the league would be talking about Vegas right now. They'd be running away with this league. Second is yeah, you're right sure. about there's very few te- there's very few teams that can match the Lightning in terms of speed, but Vegas is one of them. But what Vegas has that the Lightning doesn't have is they have some heavy players. They have some Western right, Conference have, players. Yeah, Lucas Pisa, exactly. Uh, and on defense, for sure. They can definitely lay the lumber. Those heavy teams give the lightning fits. I think it'd be a great – I think it'd go seven games. I think that, I, you know, that'd be the kind of, of Stanley Cup final that everyone would be talking about for years. I'm going to say if that happens, and in and, and, and Vegas, I, I'm trying to pump the brakes on everybody. And <laughs> Um, you know, they may be second yeah, in, in the, the league. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to pump the brakes on all that kind of talk because, you know, second in the league, first in the West at Christmas. But, I mean, really, when you look at the standings, they're only 10 points clear in their division. Um, and you have a Ducks team that's getting healthy, that's going to go on a run. Um it could flip real easy and I, and just pump the brakes. Let's take, I, I said it would be a 70 to 75 point season for the Knights. Um, I feel pretty good about that prediction, but if, if they do match up, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Knights in seven, just because uh, Mark Andre Fleury hopefully will be healthy. And if you have a three time Stanley cup champion goaltender in net, that's got to give you the edge over the young kid who's playing phenomenal. But at at that level of hockey, I just give the edge to Mark Andre Fleury, and but still pump. Well, we I'll, I'll I'll give my prediction a little when we're a little closer to the to the playoffs. But I'll tell you what, one thing you haven't mentioned was Gallant, 
and Gallant oh, to Florida to the top of the Atlantic division a couple seasons ago. And, and they haven't exactly smelled the, the playoffs since. Yep. So no, absolutely that, correct. That, that, that's in their favor. Uh, oh, by you the way, know, I, I love I love John Cooper as a coach, though. Don't don't uh, don't get me wrong. He his, you know, a few years back when they were first making their their run through the into the Eastern Conference playoffs deep, and the triplets were uh, becoming nationally known. His his activating the D style and and speed game. Um, John Cooper's a pioneer in this league, and whether people understand that or not, and the style that Mr. Cooper brings to to the National Hockey League excuse me, at the time I said was a, a prototype um, that other teams are going to be following very quickly as soon as their their personnel can match up with the style, which will take a few years. Um, Gallant saw that right away. And one thing about Vegas um, that everyone can agree on is that team can skate. They That team can pass. And that team is fast. Their breakouts out of their own end are crisp. They're clean. They're very aware of where each other are, and the, the length of time it takes to get from behind their own net to attacking in the offensive zone is just about as fast as anybody in the league. I just saw the Chicago game, and any team that can go to Chicago at the Madhouse on Madison and face a rested Blackhawks team and beat them in that game, that was an exciting game. Back to it, back it says something about the, the makeup of that team. Yep. Yeah, it's playing, like a playing back to backs with their with their backup goalie in place. Flurry played the night before in St. Louis, so um, Subban. Oh yeah, that's right. That, Subban was in that, and it, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was a back to back game, and and still go in there and have the legs. You know, they they did look a little tired in uh, during the second period. I don't know if you watched the whole thing or the condensed version. I there did were a couple long shifts, but yeah, there were a couple long shifts, and they got burned on some sloppy mm-hmm. turnovers that usually you don't see out of that Vegas squad. But overall, like you said, to go in and, and not play their best, um, have have some slow legs at certain times during the game, and still come out of Chicago with a win for their second win against that franchise uh, in the in the young season here, um, definitely definitely uh, bodes well for the future of the Vegas Knights, sir. Yep. So we'll see. We'll see uh, down the road. Okay, Dan, thank you again for coming on. We really appreciate talking uh, bull talkie with you always, sir. And we will definitely talk to you as we get closer to the playoffs. Uh, thank you again for spending good. your Saturday with us. No Thanks, problem. Man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Well, great first-time guest, Dan Harrington. With him. We've been trying to get him on for a while. And uh, so it's great to have, it was great to have him on. So uh, just to wrap things up, next week we anticipate – uh, that Russ Cohen will be on, and he'll give us a breakdown of what he thought of the World Junior Championships, particularly with the top prospects, both in the upcoming draft and uh, and the, the recent top prospects on the list. And a uh, friend of the show, old friend of the show, Dana Lane, will be coming back. Absolutely, an extended edition of the Vegas Lane, and we'll talk uh, Golden Knights with him and where they're at and how they move forward and all that good stuff. So. Uh, Great show to start the, the the new year, my friend, and I'm looking forward. Oh to yeah, this week. oh yeah, Dan's fantastic, but he needs to slow down on the cup, uh, the cup for the Vegas night talk. We yeah, want to stick with agree. the, uh, we want to stick with the, the one game at a time, hardworking, go out every night with something to prove attitude before we get to uh, round one of the playoffs. Or uh, not that, you know, I saw a stat. 
with the Golden Knights, and it was it was Thanksgiving actually, and it was 78% of teams in a playoff spot since 2010 at Thanksgiving were in the playoffs at the end of the season, and now we're oh, they're making the playoffs. We're two months farther along, and they're the number one team in the Western Conference with two, three, four games in hand on most of the contenders. Um, I think my 70, 75 point prediction is safe. Um, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go any farther than that. I remember a couple of years ago when the Kings and Sharks were in the first round of the playoffs and the Sharks went up to the three, nothing lead. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say anything to anybody at work because, you know, at the time I'm the hockey fan in the crew, you know what I mean? Um, and I, I wore my King shirt after the, the the loss where you go down three nothing, and I I didn't say a word. I just said there's a lot of hockey left to play, and then they got the overtime game four win. I didn't. Oh, you must be cocky. Nope. There's a lot of hockey left to play, and I'm that's where I am on this Golden Knights team. I'm not. I think 75 oh, yeah, points is safe, and there's a lot of hockey left to play. One thing, one thing about the National Hockey League, there's a lot of hockey left to play. So let's let's oh, pump yeah. the what brakes if, well, on that just, Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, what if they, you know, they finish first or second? Let's say they finish first in the West and they draw Dallas as one of the as the wild card. I mean, they would go up against Ben Bishop and Tyler Sagan and Radulov and Jamie Ben. I'm not saying that they couldn't. Obviously, they, you'd have to say they would be the favorite in that series based on how the regular season went, but uh, that would be a tough series. I mean, so, uh, I, you know, the first thing's first, take care of business in the regular season and then see who you match up with. But we just mentioned before about Tampa. I mean, if they got Columbus or Pittsburgh in the first round, I mean, you know, yeah, nothing yeah. is guaranteed. And, and it, these, sure. these teams are very, very close. The parity is incredible. So, um, yeah, I mean, first thing's first. So uh, let's see where, you know, uh, I think they got to take care of business and, they're in excellent position. Uh, they're either going to finish one or two in the division. And, um, yeah, so we'll see. One thing I will say um, that may bode well for the the Knights in the playoffs is they're, they're able – they have very few – for a team that plays that fast offensive style, they have – they give up very few odd man rushes against um, – that's they're good. very rarely out of position defensively. As much as they charge and push the puck forward every chance they get, they are more defensively responsible than a lot of the teams that, excuse me, maybe Dallas is of the world where you, you're scoring three and a half goals a game, but you're giving up 3.25 goals a game. You know what I'm saying? Um, Mr. Gallant, the way he has them playing, is it's also a very defensively responsible system that he has and the guys obviously have bought into that system so you know we've, we've seen the highfalutin offensive teams come through first in the conference president's trophies and then you know Washington Capitals go home in the first round a few times after winning the president's cup San Jose Sharks um, but but I think um, right now Vegas has a little bit more defensive responsibility than some of those other teams we've seen in the past, Chris. Yeah, the last thing, just to, to put a bow on it, is uh, I would say to keep in mind, this this doesn't go for Vegas, it goes for everyone. 
and obviously health is a key factor at, at, at a key time. I mean, you know, look at Nashville last year, losing Ryan Johansson. How about how about uh, and Fisher? Anaheim. I mean, everyone forgets. And Fisher. Everyone forgets. Yeah, and Fisher. But look at Anaheim. They're they're in Game Five, right? In a what was it after the first period, a zero-zero game or a tie game at home? So they know yep. that two of the next three are at home against Nashville, and then they lose their yep. starting goalie for the rest of the series. So uh, yep. I mean, a lot of times you need you need to get a very fortunate with health, and Absolutely. you need luck. Yeah, you need to stay healthy, and, and you know certain series. Or I, I remember Tampa a couple of years ago; they didn't have Strowman for a couple of the first couple of rounds of playoffs, and that killed them. Um, so that that was a big hurt. So uh, you you need to have obviously injuries are going to happen, but you need to have your core guys be able to get suited up, and you need uh, if there is an injury that it's you're not going to miss somebody, uh, ideally for a series or so. So it's just so many factors. We, that's why I say we really have to see where everyone's at at that point in time, and you know a series can totally change after after a certain game or midway through with a key injury or whatnot. So it's just so Absolutely. hard to predict or whatnot. But uh, obviously, everyone should be enjoying the ride in Las Vegas. And where we're at, where the team is yeah. at, is just incredible. Pump the brakes no a little one, bit. No Pump the brakes. Yeah, no, no, no one could have predicted that they'd be in this this spot. So uh, kudos to them. And and uh, yeah, we'll see. So I'm looking forward to next week, sir. And hopefully, it'll be a little bit Absolutely. warmer over here when we do the show. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, gonna break yeah. up for you guys. I'm feeling it. I, I hope so. Okay, well, that's going to wrap us up for this week on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Dan, fantastic guest. Make sure you follow him at Dan Harrison on Twitter uh, for all of his Lightning Insider links and writings. Uh, and follow us on Twitter at Vegas Hockey Pod. You can find us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, SoundCloud, uh, Russ Cohen, Sportsology, SoundCloud, Played, and Played Page, and Grandstand Sportsnet. So for this week, I'm trying to work something out. Hold on. (laughs) For this week, for Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone.